if we all agree, we can jump ahead a bit in time to, say, 1.30, maybe 2 in the morning so that everybody can get a little more sleep before you take a bit of a hike. Is that fair? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. So everybody has gotten gotten some sleep with varying degrees of success because, yes, you are anxious, but you are also exhausted because, yeah, you have been running around quite a bit today, even if the runaround of the day has been shorter than expected, but it's been kind of nonstop. Albion, you were in a goddamn car accident earlier. Yeah, so I'm very sore. I mean, mechanically, no, you're not, <laughs> because you took no damage from that. So you're, mechanically speaking, you are a-okay. Yeah, Albion still is grunting and groaning as he stands up, like he's ten years older than he is. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. Fine. Pain's just pain's just metal. Pain's just metal. You, by the way, uh, did not have any further awful nightmares after your sleep was disrupted around midnight. You feel like the rest of the night was basically like dreamless sleep, even though that's not technically a thing that happens. You just don't remember what you dreamt. Everyone else. Do you have any things that you want to do, any preparations to make, or any questions that you want to kind of try to work your way through or ask or uh, figure out before we officially start making our way through the Never Never to Edinburgh? I'm all set. Alvian is going to quickly ask in a text message for clearance to um, bring up the fact that the not that the White Court has, in fact contracted the Noctis before in this trial, should that become a thing? Like, permission to talk about them openly in front of the White Court. You mean the White Council? White Council, yeah. Okay. Who are you texting? Alistair? Yeah, Alistair, essentially. And it's all coded language, obviously. You are allowed to reveal your affiliation with that organization to the senior members of the Council and by extension, whoever happens to be present at that time, if it is necessary to do so, you are given that discretion. Okay, cool. Thank you. Once we set off on this, there is no turning back and we're locking into this particular set of scenes. So, yes, you are going to step politely over Desdemona's hydrangeas. Beaumont's going to do that little thing he does where he makes an invisible staircase out of pure force that you can safely step up and over your poor beleaguered bush. <laughs> you find your way into the Never Never. It turns out due to the strange geometry of you know how things connect and interact between the Never Never and our reality, the path that you need to take falls in line with the accorded, like, safe territory, thanks to the wizard's agreement with the Winter Court. It's going to take a little longer than if you were coming from, say, Chicago, even though physically Burlington is closer to Edinburgh. So you're going to arrive in Edinburgh at roughly 7.30 their time, which would be 3.30 a.m. 
Eastern Daylight Time. Mm. So you arrive with about two hours left on your countdown clock. You are now having safely passed through the ways because the ways to and from the castle that houses the White Council of Wizards are gonna be some of the safest ways that you can travel in the Never Never thanks to the Unseelie Accords and everything that is uh, determined within them thanks to, you know, a war with the Red Courts, Red Court of Vampires. So, great. So, uh, if if anybody is interested in it, Chaplin is going to pass some of the time by talking kind of non-specifically about where you're actually headed so that you're not all going in completely blind because that's that's really not their intention so if you're like oh you want to be here totally unprepared get taken advantage of that way like that's that's not how they play and it seems like maybe they're you know they're interested in these sorts of historical things so where you're headed is the hidden halls of edinburgh and it is a complex located somewhere beneath the city. There is a space within a place called Castle Rock under Edinburgh Castle, which is in real life a very cool place. And uh, it, it's, it's basically a castle sitting on top of a really big rock is what it looks like. It's just a really neat place. And supposedly, rumor has it, that the original Merlin won it from a she-lord in a bet. And it's like, no one knows if that's true or not, but it just seems like a fun bit of trivia if it is true. It's like, ooh, that's pretty cool. This is not actually the first location of the White Council headquarters because the White Council actually predates Merlin, it turns out. it's It's been located in other places like Alexandria, uh, a name that uh, kind of stings the librarian when it comes up uh you can see them very very faintly react to the use of the name alexandria um and you know it's it's been rome and the vatican madrid constantinople other places but now it's here and supposedly it is such a fantastically magically fortified place that like if you wanted to try to break in you are an idiot or suicidal or you're a god. So they're happy to pass the time with, you know, just a little bit of a lore dump on where you're headed. Sort of a lightweight lore dump. With Chaplin doing all of this talking, is it possible to do an empathy check on them? Absolutely, because you have, in fact, been around them for more than 10 minutes. Okay. Go right ahead. You're going to be rolling against, uh, I'm going to say, base three difficulty. I got a five. Nice. What you can tell about Warden Chaplin is that they're a younger person. They're, they're roughly in your age range, like the age range of the group. Definitely on the, the higher end of the age range of the group, like not as much in the same age bracket as, say, Row. So... It seems like they have a general enthusiasm and interest in history, especially related to the White Council and such. And um, 
you recall that they mentioned that they also fought in the war against the Red Court of Vampires alongside Warden Beaumont. So this person probably has scars and probably has trauma, but at the same time, it seems like their passion and interest in wizardry and everything around it is not so blunted and diminished. Um, it doesn't feel false to you either, because you did roll rather well. So you are going to get the general sense of one of their aspects. And with an empathy roll, you don't necessarily get the exact name, but you get an idea of it. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you're going to get here is wizard history enthusiast. So that element of their character is laid bare to you as being authentic. Uh, so at this point, I think that Des is listening with more interest because uh, history major recognizes game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think that the empathy check was more to kind of, she was probably more trying to see just to like, because she's not really been around Chaplin that much, doesn't know if she can trust them or not. But like, it's like, oh, but... This is so very interesting. <laughs> I mean, the interactions that you have now had with them have mostly been on this walk. Uh, so it is flavored according to the time that you have spent with them. If you want, you can try to use your rapport to engage in a little bit of chit chat with Chaplin to see if you can steer the conversation one way or another to justify Another empathy role about something else about their character. Uh, no, we don't have to. Okay. You're content to listen and just sort of see this aspect of the person. Okay. Well, yeah, she's probably just taking all that information and just stowing it away in her little history brain. <laughs> Valid. So you have arrived in Scotland. It is early, early morning. It is still early morning. There's still plenty of that sort of morning fog and morning dew that is just hanging around and making this whole scene look very, I'd say, picturesque, if you would describe, like, the Scottish Moors that way. It evokes that sort of classic picture of a castle in the Highlands kind of thing. That is what you are looking at, and you have an entry through another way to get into the actual place that you need to go. So you've, you've had this view of the castle and Castle Rock through the early morning mist. You have heard that uh, this place is uh, basically proximal to a bunch of ley lines, which, like, Chaplin's just going to talk about, like, oh yeah, this place is a significant place because, like, there's ley lines around and this place is just like super duper fortified and you are able to get to the point where you are going to start getting into the actual entrance and warden chaplain walks up to another warden who is just standing guard and says i seek entry to the hidden halls oh warden may i pass and another warden who will be identified after the fact by Chaplin as Warden Chandler says, 
be welcome to the seat of the White Council, enter in peace, and depart in peace. And now you are in tunnels, entering into the underneath in Castle Rock. The tunnel walls have base relief carved wards in it that have a lot of depictions of things. Specifically, a lot of the carvings in the stone that decorate it are renditions of the high points of the White Council's history, and some of them are very much clearly not that, and you might be able to intuit with a lore roll that those are some of the wards. And the tunnel that you're in has crystals set in the walls that provide a soft illumination to this ancient, worn, chilly, and damp tunnel, and seems like there's just half-frozen dew hanging in the air pretty much any time you breathe. So the tunnel from the Never Never is more than a quarter of a mile long, sloping gently downward, with metal gates every couple of hundred yards, each of them manned by a different warden and backed by a pair of, well, if you make a lore roll, you might know. Okay, cool. Lore roll is going to be a four. Uh, it's only a three. Seven. Sweet. So you would understand that these big statues, uh, these big canine statues are temple dog statues. So if somebody were trying to get past here in a way that they shouldn't, them statues gonna move and them statues gonna be big, powerfully scary dogs. Yeah that would mess you right up. You definitely don't know the individual members of the council to know anything about where, what their origin might be, but you are definitely aware that this kind of thing exists. And every couple hundred yards, you encounter a warden and the same exchange occurs. And Chaplin is just sort of happy to describe some of the things that are around as you are passing through. And now you have found your way into the hidden halls and you're going to be led, I believe, straight to the speaking room. There are a large number of passages in the stone here, which are not particularly important to any of you, except for maybe uh, the only wizard in the group other than the wardens, Marcus. You probably have been here before, given your family. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're pretty familiar with the places that you are going to. You have an understanding of like, oh, that way would go to the worry room. That way would go to the war room. That way would go to the ostentatiatory, probably. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you've ever been in those places is up for debate. And yeah, you have uh, the speaking room that you have been led to. It is a small auditorium in which rows of stone benches are classically disposed in a full circle around a very small circular stone stage, much like an ancient Greek theater. Mm -hmm. It is not big enough to hold all the wizards that exist in the world and it's really not meant to so it's just kind of uh, like if they need a bigger meeting 
then there are other places where they will meet at various locations. And as you are making your way into here, you can see multiple other wizards are present in this space. You might recognize a few of them, because if you remember, you didn't really actually become a, a full-fledged wizard Correct. of the White Council. You were very near to becoming one when you were doing a job that was basically like a, a trial, and uh, you ended up invading a person's mind. Yeah. And then when you were taken to this room and tested, you were found incapable of having performed such an act because Titania deliberately hid some of your magic away from everyone, including you. Mm -hmm. And now you're back in the same room. How how are you dealing with that? Because previously, I mean, the last time that you were in here was for that. Yeah. I mean, pretty much on the hallway here, he's been kind of only like partially paying attention to Chaplin babbling on about history and what have you. Just kind of been staring off in his own thoughts. And kind of here at this point, he just looks really tired. Sort of like someone who's run all the way they can away from something and now they're just back here again. And they're just kind of like, why did I bother? Kind of energy to his body posture at the moment. But mm, determined, determined okay. to see it through still. Like, he's not completely given up. Just more of a, I wasted a lot of energy to only end up in the same place. Yeah, though, on that note, you have ended up in the same place with a full-fledged wizard and warden mm -hmm. willing to back you up. Yes. So, you can take some heart at the notion that had you ended up here again any other way, it would probably not be a done deal yeah yeah you, you would have like no chance just pull the sword out now we're done yes without somebody willing to step up and and take that mm -hmm. which is not unprecedented right that is not without precedent you surely would have heard about harry dresden you don't necessarily know the history of others who have evaded execution for violating the law you have but you have a very famous case of a wizard murderer mm -hmm. who is now a warden that he is so there's hope for you yet <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh in in here you there are some wizards that you might recognize from your past from your history mm -hmm. and there are some that are not making themselves like immediately apparent who they are and in the center uh, of the auditorium, there are a few figures on the center, sort of raised central area, um, circular thing there. Uh, one of them is Ebenezer McCoy. One of them is clearly, obviously, the Merlin. Mm -hmm. There is uh, Grigoy Christos, who is one of the newest members of the council. He took the position that was vacated by Alaron Lefortier when Lefortier was murdered, mm -hmm. and Christo, being his apprentice, took on the role. And there is Rashid, who is also sometimes known as the Gatekeeper. The other three members of the council, who I did not feel completely comfortable playing, are not there. 
And what you would know from your council history is that the Merlin gets to vote in their stead. Any vote for a, a member in absentia, the Merlin may cast. So they can cast multiple votes while they're gone. Correct. Gotcha. So currently, you know that the Merlin has four votes that he himself may cast. Yeah. yeah, there is a bit of a hand-waving explanation about how the other individual members of the council are... Indisposed. Yeah, indisposed, too occupied with other matters, but they nearly have a quorum. That's going to be good enough for the business that they have to attend to. Mm-hmm. And I say hand-wavy because I'm hand-waving it. Me, yes. the game master. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that fourth wall, where is it? I can't see it anymore. Yeah. So the Merlin and three other members of the senior council are present on that central stage there in the speaking room. The meeting is now set to start momentarily. Mm -hmm. There are a few minutes left before the actual eight o'clock hour comes, which I will remind you is... 4 a.m. you on your clock, mm. and if you wish to to have any sort of interactions with anybody, just know that you are going to be escorted by Beaumont and Chaplin because you are there for you know to be tried. Right. So your options might be a little limited in who you can interact with, and the other people who are here, being Albion, Roe. Des and the librarian <laughs> are there as guests yes. of Beaumont. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the librarian is there, and there are people who are definitely uh, either looking at the librarian or making a deliberate effort not to look at the librarian. There's a variety of reactions to this ancient, extraordinarily powerful Fae. Uh, being present in the speaking room. Mm -hmm. So the mood of the room may be a little keyed up already because A, it's a trial. B, that thing is here. And uh, C, you are, you know, who you are mm -hmm. uh, of the Walbrook family. Yeah. So if anybody would like to do anything in the few minutes before the proper start of the trial, you may go right ahead. Does anyone have anything they would like to do? Not no. at the moment. Albion is just kind of very calmly disassembling and reassembling one of his weapons. Oh boy. Okay. Um. Yeah, you're going to be doing so under supervision. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I assume that you have basically explained, like, yeah, no, no, this is this is just uh, I'm not even this isn't even loaded right now. Yeah, it's not loaded, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think uh, Des is going to go talk to Beaumont for a few minutes. Okay. Beaumont is going to be right there with uh, Marcus and Chaplin. So mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah that that is that is the situation as you as you find it when you begin engaging Beaumont. All right. So she'll probably just like kind of sidle up and just go. So uh, any tips on how this might turn out or or anything to expect well um hmm. Beaumont takes a moment 
to gather his thoughts and make sure that he is uh, carefully wording what he's going to say, just so that what he says is correct and doesn't misrepresent anything. And, you know, is, is also trying to be cautious about what he feels he can say, because this is an internal council matter that you are going to be present for sure. But he's still trying to he's still trying to be a little a little cautious. Well, what's going to happen is that Marcus is going to stand accused of committing a crime that is punishable by immediate execution, and he will uh, have a chance to defend himself. Uh, and which, which is to say, it's very, it's a very difficult thing to do because you have to effectively justify breaking a law of magic, which is viewed as um, an immutable truth of the universe for creatures with free will. But that's not to say that people haven't defended themselves against that previously. I mean, Harry Dresden was involved in two of those instances where uh, somebody was able to successfully stay off execution one of those times was himself. So you and your friends are largely going to function as, I guess, character witnesses would be the best approximation in, like, you know, U.S. legal terms. Oh. Okay. But um, a lot of the responsibility here is going to fall on me because I'm the one who is willing to put my neck on the line and take on the Doom of Damocles uh, in order to prevent, you know. Yeah. You're, you're still okay with doing that? <sighs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Because I, I... I'm not... I don't mean... When I ask, I don't... I'm not asking... I'm not asking you to. I'm asking if you are okay with... Like, how you're feeling about this. I'm feeling that... I'm feeling like there's a reason why individuals have been... Have been able to make their way out from under this sort of a thing. And it does have to do with a certain level of trust and a certain level of faith. Because, frankly, that's what we all work off of. Everything in our world is faith. And I have faith that Marcus deserves a second chance. Because what he did was wrong. And he knows that I, I, I have faith that he's not going to do that again. And if I'm not willing to stand firm in my convictions of the things I believe in, then I have no business being who I am. Other than being a character witness, I guess. Um, is there any other way that I can be a support right now? You're already here, Des. And that is already 
that's already doing a lot. Make me an empathy roll. Target three. Got a four. Okay. He's not talking about Marcus. Yeah, and she wasn't either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You are you are now having a conversation about the two of you, and you are both now aware of that fact. You're both you both know for sure that that is the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when he yeah you know, has said that just you being here, you're already doing enough. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's crazy how nervous I feel. Like I feel like. I need words of encouragement, but it should be me giving that to you, I guess. He he puts a hand on your shoulder and says, yeah, this isn't easy for anyone, but I have to. I have to do this. Because I, I truly believe that justice is not meant to simply be punitive. People are supposed to be given a chance to reform. And any justice system that doesn't believe that, I I can't support. I mean, bringing him back to Dresden, he's a fucking warden now. Yeah. Like, the council put him in a position with some modicum of authority and the the ability and right to execute people accused of the same thing that he did. If he can change and if he can be somebody who they can trust to hunt down the past version of himself then yeah i suppose uh i should consider myself lucky that you feel that way um i'm sorry uh she's gonna kind of look him as close to the face that she can and just say i have your six right always he just looks back at you and he just nods. I think at this point you can kind of clearly understand that there's a certain level of fraternization that may be perceived as inappropriate, but he just nods back at you and acknowledges that he feels the same. Okay, yeah. Um, I- I'm gonna go back over there, I guess, but um, g- good luck. I, I don't break a leg. Li- do do good. I don't. I don't know what to say. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back over there. Yeah. Okay. Um, point of advice: don't say anything until you're asked to. I can do that. It's not a good thing that that advice was not given to Albion. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> There is a moment where Beaumont <laughs> has this like revelation, king of realization, <laughs> and just goes, "You'd better tell that to your friends too, <laughs> both of them." Whoa! Quince, <laughs> right. like, excuse Ro, you. Going to- Ro has never said anything bad to anyone ever. <laughs> I gonna- have <laughs> hours of tape that are I that I have. Gwen. Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C, Exhibit X. Release the common tapes. <laughs> exhibit A, Z. Yes, that's right. That was 52. Now on to Exhibit B, A. This is Rogate. gate. <laughs> we had the same joke at the same time. 
Hey, you did it. Yeah, Des basically guys? just walks away, making it known that she is going to go and relay <laughs> that message directly. <laughs> yeah. Pulling up her, her like shirt with a making a fist, being like, Albin's going to listen one way or another. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, because like that's Arthur exactly meme? what Des is about. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, totally. Okay, so you think that there is a single bone in Dez's body that embodies the Arthur meme, <laughs> where he's rolling up his sleeve and making a fist? Well, it is the tiny part that Sly taught her, right? Mm -hmm. No, that's right. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, um, no, she's going to go to her friends and ask for a quick little uh, pre-trial powwow. Huddle up, huddle up, team. Perfect. So Alvin is sitting there whistling to himself as he disassembles and reassembles Guggenir. At this point, he puts it back and just pulls back the slide, and it makes that very satisfying noise that guns make. Uh, I that, think uh, uh, at least a couple of heads turn at that. Yeah, noise. I don't know why he's yeah. doing this here. <laughs> okay, yeah, Des is grabbing Rose's hand and bringing the both of them to Albion. <laughs> uh, hey guys, can I just um, can, can we just powwow real quick before the trial? Hmm? Oh, that's a spinach cleaning an oil in a. Uh... Going to hear so yeah sure what's up? Albion, I'm sure that there's going to be no need for the gun today at all. You you probably could just I, I know you're probably just finding something to do to keep your hands busy. I totally get that, mm -hmm. being a very tactile person that I am, and I know that we're all very nervous and have a lot on our minds right now. But as uh, she's saying this, he is putting away Gugnir and drawing his shotgun revolver and stripping and cleaning that now. <laughs> yeah, totally not making any of us more nervous. Um, yeah. uh, I I um I was just hoping I could share with y'all um a a pearl of wisdom that has been imparted to me um in regards to i suppose trial etiquette if nothing else mm -hmm. mm. uh it has been asked by our mutuals to please not speak unless spoken to do we do we think huh. that we can do that that's easy enough for me Ro all i can promise is that i will try rose staring at albion she does not believe uh, him active Actively trying would be appreciated. Um, yeah. Let's um, try to keep a cool head about this. Try to trust the process and try to trust that our friends have got this. Oh, I'll, I'll do my best. So as other wizards are kind of getting to places and taking a seat, one wizard in particular sort of passes behind you, Albion, and you hear a voice from coming from well above your head because this guy's tall and he just sort of pats your shoulder and just says you might want to put that away friend if you think you need that here no you don't <laughs> alvin looks up who is who am i looking at you are looking at a very tall some bitch okay he looks a bit scruffy and definitely he has seen a good amount of shit and he just kind of gives you a wry little smile that basically imparts to you, I know you understand now, that'll be all, and walks past you. He did pat you on the shoulder there. Give me a quick, let's say empathy roll. It's either empathy or lore, your choice, target three. I'll go lore. That is a five. Okay. You feel like... He was maybe trying to clock you and your whole scene because you are familiar with the fact that uh, wizards 
if they make contact with somebody else, have the ability to kind of feel the other person's like power. And it goes both ways with wizards, but like it's a little little spark you might feel that indicates like, oh, this is the kind of mojo that this person's playing with. You're not sure if he definitely did that, but he sure could have been trying, especially because he just kind of very briefly engaged you, gave you a knowing look, not meeting you in the eyes, and then continued on his way. I do not like that dude's vibe. Alvian says very quietly to the others. And he finishes reassembling the uh, revolver and just does a little twirl around the finger before holstering it. I need you to make me an alertness check. Uh, your target is four. Uh, that is a f- that is a four, actually. When you say, I did not like that guy's vibe, uh, yes, he is walking away from you. <laughs> but you are able to hear that he just goes, Are you kidding? I always pass the vibe check. Whatever that is. <laughs> oh, shit, Alvian just... His face blanches a little, and he just... <clears throat> anyway, holsters the gun. <sighs> Case in point, probably should have kept that to yourself. <sighs> anyway, I, I take it the trial's gonna be starting soon, then. So I should probably get to shutting up. Yes, let's just have our active listening ears open and and see what this is all about. Well, all right, Mrs. Finchetti, my third grade teacher. That's I'll put on my listening ears for you. I think Daz is going to try to sit between uh, Roe and Albion. So the murmur is now starting to die down as a man in the middle of the room who has probably been identified to you as the Merlin, if by no one else, then by the librarian, begins to call to order in Latin, and after a moment, you stop hearing what he's saying necessarily in Latin. It is still being said in Latin, but it hits your brain as English. (laughs) And you understand that this man, the Merlin, is calling the session to order over the matter of the trial of Marcus Walbrook for the second time. New information has come to the attention of the council, and they now see it fit to have an unprecedented second trial for the same crime, the crime of violating one of the basic laws of magic in invading the mind of another. And there's some definite murmur in, in, you know, amongst the peanut gallery because no one really ever gets tried twice for the same thing. They either get their head cut off or they get acquitted and then they kind of go through a process of basically being rehabbed by another wizard until it's evident that they're changed and not going to commit the same offense. The Merlin acknowledges that the circumstances around even the first trial of Marcus Walbrook were unprecedented as a promising young wizard from an influential family with a long history of wizardry suddenly seemed to lack the abilities that he had previously shown 
but there was insufficient evidence to explain what could have possibly caused such a discrepancy when it seemed impossible that this individual could have committed the crime that they had been accused of, despite previous reports to the contrary. And now that he's basically caught the audience in this chamber up to speed on the events of the previous trial, he's going to explain outright, it has come to our attention that the accused, Marcus Walbrook, intentionally deceived the White Council of Wizards in that first trial, an act that would be impossible without outside assistance. At the mention of outside assistance, there is a bunch of concerned murmuring in the room, and the Merlin says, I do not wish to impart on anyone here the wrong idea. What I mean is, it is not an act he could have committed alone. We now understand that the accused engaged in a deal with the very queen of the fairy court of summer herself in exchange for some unknown favor his power was hidden even from himself in such a way that he would not have been capable of committing the crime that we now have evidence and reason to believe he did in fact commit there's again a lot of noise and murmuration uh, and just like people kind of like trying to process this information, this, this sort of scandalous knowledge that you, Marcus Walbrook, A, did commit the crime that you were previously acquitted of, B, got help from a fae, one of the most powerful fae, one of the queens, in order to circumvent the justice of the White Council. And, like, this is all a lot for people to take in and know and understand now. So there's a good amount of, of that, at which point the Merlin calls everyone to order, and the murmuring dies down and ceases. The Merlin looks between the other three senior council members assembled and says, We find it necessary to convene a second trial, and we understand that you will not be solely representing yourself. Is that correct? That is correct. We have also been made to understand that you have made the perhaps unusual move to bring character reference. That is also correct. And the company of the librarian. Correct. I must ask, as this is far outside of even the normal proceedings for a trial such as this, for what purpose have you brought this ancient fae into the speaking room in the hidden halls? The librarian is going to very politely step forward and stand at their full height and step forward and offer a hand up in the air as if to suggest that they wish to speak for themselves. And then they say, if I may, I am here of my own accord. The invitation was implicit, but was never explicit. <laughs> Be certain that I 
bear no ill will of anyone in this chamber, and I would know if I did. And I do believe that you, Merlin, Arthur Langtree, would know if I did as well. But effectively, I invited myself. There's another round of murmurs, and it's coming up to nearly an uproar at this point, because this is buck wild, basically. We're already going to be a legendary Uh, case at this point. Yes, your case is absolutely going to be a legendary one already. So the senior council, uh, the, the Merlin, and the members of the senior council restore, again, order to the chambers. As they're making efforts, there is a booming sound of the Merlin's voice in everyone's head that insists upon silence, and everybody knows better than to piss off the Merlin. So the Merlin continues, and after that particular revelation says, unusual, but I do not see a reason to disallow you, so you, your presence here will be tolerated, and as appropriate, we expect you to follow the same rules as anyone else in this chamber, with perhaps the exception of the accused. And the librarian simply nods and acquiesces, and the Merlin says, I should now ask your chosen character witnesses, with the exception of the librarian, as you did not choose their presence, to please identify themselves, and as this is, again, not something I have seen in my many years of overseeing such matters, well, when you identify yourself, I shall give you the floor, and you shall state what it is necessary for you to state about the accused. And he starts by pointing at Albion. Albion steps forward. My name is Albion Graves. I am bearer of a weapon of Odin Allfather that shares the name of his spear that it is an aspect of. Gungnir. Albion Graves. What relation do you have to the accused? He's a friend. Would you be able to elaborate on that point any farther? Marks and I first crossed paths, uh, during a hunt. There was a monster. I was dealing with it. Marcus happened to be in the right place at the right time. We fought together. We shed blood together. He backed me up. Uh, got knocked a bit around by that wind magic of his, but, uh, you know, I held my own. My point is, he could have kept walking. He didn't. He decided to back me up, and that was the first of many times I watched Marcus defend the innocent and put the needs of others above his own. Is that the character witness that you wish to provide to the council? Marcus, when we first met, didn't trust me. Because I held this. Alvian draws Gugnir. Uh, It is unloaded, but the silver fire does light up his hand and light up one of his eyes as he bears it. He did not know what I could do with his power. He didn't trust me with his power initially. I intended to prove myself to him, but uh, we ended up having to go separate ways not long after that. Marcus is someone who is wary of power, and I would say he learned from experience to do that. I know he has struggled with the weight of reputation, so to speak. I don't know if anyone else here has had 
sort of parental pressure on him. But, uh, I imagine that's even more complicated when your dad's a wizard. I know he struggled with that. I know he struggled with a lot of what we deal with. But I do know that he, when the chips were down, did the right thing at the time. The Merlin asks, if you have stated your case, would you please step forward directly in front of the council and myself? Alvian steps forward. And he is going to put a hand on you just directly on top of your head and ask you to demonstrate what you had previously demonstrated. Alvian takes Gugnir again, holds it up. The fire again ignites. His eye ignites. Um, and he looks up at the Merlin, deliberately not making eye contact, but coming very close. Uh, as the Merlin withdraws his hand, you implicitly understand this is your cue to stop. Again, a little twirl, and then the gun goes back in the holster. Representative of the god Odin, your statement has been noted. And he looks to the other council members who all look back and nod in turn. You may return to your seat. You're not going to cross-examine me or nothing? Your statement has been provided. Albion saunters back. Not proud of his statement, thinks it was rambly and shitty. And looks distinctly uncomfortable as he sits down. He was hoping they would ask him questions so he would have a better idea of what to say. Well, unfortunately, it seems that's not the way this is going to happen. It's not an American court. This is wizard court. Da-da-da-dun. Next is Dez. You are you're being summoned to to speak. Um, I am Desdemona Brown, Burlington, Vermont, native. And what is your relationship to the accused? Uh, I have known Marcus as a friend and colleague for several months. We first met because he was trying to recruit me for the Paranet. Ah. The Ordo Lebes, as established by our own Warden Harry Dresden, if I understand correctly. That's correct. You may proceed with your statement. I haven't known Marcus Welbrook for very long, but I do know that he has had to work against a world that asks for the insurmountable, and he has always tried to meet or overcome those challenges. And... I am also understanding that with everything that has gone on, that he has his, he has his, uh, what's the word? I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Um, Take your time. He is apologetic, and he, at the end of the day, deserves forgiveness. If you are finished, you may step forward. She will step forward. Okay. The Merlin places a hand atop your head and looks to one of the other council members and takes his hand off and gives a small nod to uh, Rashid, who asks, May I place my hand upon your shoulder, Miss Desdemona Brown? Sure, yeah. He puts a hand on your shoulder and you don't feel anything specific as he does so. He then withdraws the hand and simply nods, and the Merlin says, Thank you, Miss Desdemona Brown. You may return to your seat. And she'll go sit down. And the Merlin finally indicates Roe. 
<laughs> this should be great, actually. Okay. Um, so Ro walks up to where she's supposed to be. You have had two people do it previously, so yeah. And says, I am Rosetta Common, daughter of a fae and a human. Um, I have very little relation to Marcus, but he has saved my life. And I do have some evidence of him being a good person from even before I met him. So if I may, and Ro reaches into her pocket and pulls out a folded letter um, and looks around to see if she's allowed to start reading from this. The council, uh, who did not actually ask for your statement yet <laughs> before you launch right into it, are going to just sort of look between each other and then uh, look back at you and, and nod. Okay. So a little context for this is I am friend of Desdemona and Albion. We have been on a very wild ride together. Um, and I had heard previously about Marcus and who he was. So I had wrote the, written this um, when I had a moment to kind of think about everything. Um, and she unfolds the paper and takes three pages, um, puts them back in her pocket, and is just holding one. So she starts reading The Marcus Dilemma. I don't know how he did it, but he kept these people that I've grown to love together. He kept them safe. He kept them alive. I don't know how he did it. I'm sitting here looking at a photo of the group, so happy and together, and something bad happened that made him disappear. I'm sitting here in the aftermath, and in his wake, he has left behind three amazing people who he would die for. And part of me thinks that he would die for me too. They are devastated with him leaving. He was the glue that kept the group together, and I don't think he knew that. If he were to ever come back, I'll have to be sure to thank him. I don't know how this man I have never met has earned it, but he has my utmost respect and trust. He has kept those that I love safe and alive, and that is something that I strive to do in the future. I wrote this months before I met Marcus, and the first time I met him, he saved my life. That's all. And that's all Ro has to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So different members of the council seem to be taking that in in different ways, either fairly neutral and stone faced as they have been. But the older, like bearded man there who is not the Merlin, uh, he it looks like he his face is betraying a little bit of uh a little bit of genuine emotion uh, at this. And I would like you to make me an empathy roll to try to read that. What does my four get me? Uh, your four beats the three <laughs> that you needed. So this is uh, Ebenezer McCoy. And I, I don't know if you would necessarily know that as Roe. He's probably been pointed out to you who is who, <laughs> um, simply because the librarian is just, you know, a real, a real chill friend like that sometimes. And it looks like 
there's some emotion uh, that he's allowed to sort of come onto his face, whether he meant to or not. Mm. You think that there's a little bit of pride in it, which he's has never met you before and and (laughs) you've never met him uh you have absolutely no history but you get that sense and you are asked to step forward and i do okay the merlin places his hand atop your head and then asks a follow-up question and says if i may be allowed to ask and you may choose not to answer this question young changeling whom are your parents? Who are your parents that you have alluded to? Um, Ro just answers. My mother is Shiban Shi, and my father is just another human. The Merlin tells you that you may now return to your seat. Can, and... can Ro give a deep, gracious bow? <laughs> Ro may yeah, embarrass herself yet again. Perfect. She does, and she goes and sits down. Okay, uh, there you go. So, uh, hopefully that's not red as insolence. <laughs> okay. And the Merlin says, the council thanks you for your input and your statements. What consequence they have is still yet to be determined and whether they shall have any bearing beyond the accused defense and the defense of one Warden Joseph Beaumont. Objection, Your Honor. I do believe you're missing a few key witnesses. You're cutting things a little short there, Merlin. It's the same voice that you recognize Albion as having kind of told you to put your gun away. And a very tall, like seven foot or so, wizard stands up and uh Marcus you you know for sure that you did not uh bring anybody else beyond the folks that you brought mm-hmm. but also you are pretty damn sure you know exactly who this is and the Merlin uh just sighs and says I truly should have expected this interruption, Dresden. Yet I still find myself flummoxed by you every day. (laughs) What do you wish to bring to this process? Your interruption will be tolerated as a warden. But I warn you, if you step out of line in any way... I know, I know. You'll bounce me out of here like a soccer mom at practice. Good thing I brought my own orange slices. Come on, Arthur. How many times are we going to tear up this turf? And uh, (laughs) uh, the Merlin just looks at him and says, that is your final act of insouciance before you are removed. Insouciance? (laughs) I wonder how long it took him to translate that one from Latin. He addresses the general assembled and uh, sort of walks his way forward and just looks at you, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't make eye contact properly. Right. And he... You know you know the look someone has when like they're really tired and something just outrageous happens and they just literally cannot process what is in front of them? Yeah. 
yeah, like he's still recovering from Roe, someone he's met only met a little bit, giving like one of the best character things he's ever <laughs> gotten from anyone. So he was like emotionally recovering from that, wiping away some tears, and then this happened. So he's just like, uh, sorry, uh, Marcus Exe has stopped working. You'll need to restart. <laughs> yes. Continue. He looks down at you and uh, gives you a little wink without making direct eye contact, of course. Of course. And then he looks up at uh, the, the council members and just says, Senior Council, I have a few very important pieces of information relating to this fella and his predicament. Now, I don't wish to alarm anyone, but unbeknownst to me, until just recently, I should be trying to end this man's life. What? Everybody, again, stirs up that sort of outrage murmuring, and the Merlin gives him a hard stare and says, Dresden, I demand an explanation. And an explanation you shall receive! As a knight of the Winter Court, it is my civic duty to inform you that I, apparently, have squires. All right. The Merlin is just like looking at him, trying to parse the outrageous things that he is currently saying. And uh, Christos looks at him and just says, apparently, how do you not know whether you do or don't? And then uh, <laughs> McCoy speaks up and says, more importantly, Grigori, I don't think that that's been a position in the Fey courts up until now. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Merlin looks at them and then just sort of looks right back at Harry and says, Indeed, I have no knowledge of such a position within the courts. If you could explain. Well, long story short, both queens cheated. Dresden, <laughs> please explain yourself specifically and articulately and without <sighs> please explain <clears throat> all right here's the sum up queen titania did that's my bad sorry queen titania shit she's not gonna get a third one out of me <sighs> <laughs> all right marcus here committed the crimes he's being accused of he talked with Summer to get it covered up. Now, of course, this means that she has Marcus in her pocket, and so as not to throw off the balance, she made a new title just for him. Unfortunately for her, my boss sees her call and raises her own to square everything up. That means that Winter appointed some squires on my behalf, and, you guessed it, she failed to bring that up during the last night stuff meeting. So, with that, there have been attempts made on this man's life in my name, without my knowledge, and had I known sooner, I would have absolutely told them to cut that shit out. Sorry about that, Marcus. A dumb, dumb nod from him as he continues listening. <laughs> now you are all well aware that I don't care much for Faye politics, which is about as ironic as rain on a wedding day. This poor kid has been stuck in between the whims and wills of two folks that, barring my earlier slip-up, we aren't even allowed to name. 
And because these two are constantly bickering like a pair of divorcees, the kid was put in a position where he either accepted his new role as Summer's cat's paw or suffer the consequences of his actions. Wouldn't you agree, Marcus? Yes. I, out of everyone here, have the most up-close and personal experience in dealing with the Queens, and I know that he's been manipulated from the beginning. Or my name isn't Harry Dresden. <laughs> That's not something Marcus ever thought about. Harry's gonna look pointedly at your father, who is in the room. That sound about right to you, Mr. Walbrook? Your father speaks for the first time in a long time that you've heard. Yep. And uh, he says, I fail to understand the implication that you are making here, Warden. Oh, nothing major. Just the fact that you made a pawn out of your son and gave him over to the Queens in a game that you have no idea how to play. A huge amount of noise erupts in the council chamber as uh, he has just made a fairly straightforward accusation against your father of uh, some real shitty behavior. Yeah, because Marcus never thought that the events that led up to Titania reaching out to him were caused by anything but his, his choices and his father and their interactions. So he's sort yeah. of sitting there kind of trying to come to grips with that and going through like in, like uh, twitches of anger and then like confusion as he's tra trying to process this. At, at which point uh, he says, how dare you? How dare you stand here and make an accusation of that sort against me? You who have yourself stood in the same place as my offspring on more than one occasion. Do you mean that time when I was protecting someone against our archaic system of justice? Or could it have been when I was defending the helpless from a group of stubborn old men? You know what, you're going to have to be far more specific. I do do this a lot. That does not negate the point, Dresden. How dare you put yourself in a position to accuse me of impropriety? Save it, you old blowhard. We all know what your shtick is. Now, I can't speak for everyone here and say they're going to side with me that you might have tried to pull a fast one on Queen Titania. Oops. Was that number three? Oh, well, thrice said and thrice done. <laughs> But now that you're here, your majesty, if you wanted to take the stand and defend yourself, it's all yours. Oh, Harry. All this time, by the way, Albion is just staring at Marcus's dad. And by I mean staring, I mean staring daggers. Albion is just looking at this man like he is contemplating vaulting the table and punching him in the jaw. Once Marcus realizes what Harry just did, there's actually a good bit of fear in his face. He has a healthy fear of the queen for good reason. Absolutely. Uh, at which point your father uh, <laughs> is going to just nearly scream back at Harry. I did nothing except push my son with the same expectation that my father had before me and his father before him. 
it is in no way my fault that my son was incapable of living up to their legacy and the oh, legacy that fuck they- you! <laughs> Albion, Albion, we weren't spoken to. Oh, Ex- God. I could feel that was happening. I could feel it coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's Excuse face is just in his hands me? at this point. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. No. You're right. Uh, I spoke out of turn. Let me rephrase. <clears throat> Go fuck yourself. Censure this character witness immediately. He has brought enough shame and farce on the proceedings as it is. The Merlin, uh, by the way, is speaking directly into your head uh, and says, not another word out of you Albion Graves for the rest of the proceedings. Albion is quiet. (laughs) You see the sorts that my son associates with in order to defend himself against what is being described by Warden Dresden as having committed the actual crime he was accused of. And the the uh, the council are just like having a time with all this. They look to Harry and the Merlin just says, Dresden, what you have stated does directly indicate that Marcus Walbrook here is guilty of breaking the law of magic that he broke. Oh, he is guilty. You must not have heard me when I said he committed those crimes. Another uproar in the in the halls. Uh, Marcus, your dad's like yelling voice is thankfully being drowned out by uh, the the uproar over that last statement. Yeah. Well, if anyone's learned anything from this, I know what you did. You know what you have supposed that I have done, which I stand here and flatly deny, Warden. I know what you did. I guess she's too busy to acknowledge her part in this plot. I know my boss would delight in hearing about what you've done, fair queen. Wow, she really must be busy. Buddy, it's Michael. I'm gonna keep this mid-roll real brief. Just hit the main points, you know, the important stuff. Thank the people who need to be thanked, and just talk about the things I need to talk about real quick. Uh, because you have waited long enough for this episode. It has been delayed quite a bit, so I'm not gonna hold you up much longer uh, to get back to it. Because uh, I know we're in the middle of the excitement. So we want to get you back into it as quickly as possible. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for your patience. Um, I had to remind myself recently that this is something that we do for fun and is not something uh, that I need to make my life worse over. 
because I was absolutely stressing out too much over everything and holding myself to too high of a standard. Um, and then I gave myself the time and I composed several pieces of music for the episode and we managed to get a really wonderful spate of guest voices on here, um, which I think I should go into now. Let's talk about the wonderful people who lent their talent to this episode, most especially Patrick Keefe as our Harry Dresden, doing a phenomenal job, really bringing that character to life. You can go check them out on The Writer's Room, which is an actual play podcast set in the swashbuckling tabletop role-playing game Seventh Sea. And you can follow all of their socials at That Gray Gentleman, except for Twitter, where it's That Gray Gentle M. It's most of the way there. Anyway, huge thanks to Patrick for uh, fantastic work. Um, as well as another wonderful person, also from the writer's room, and Ten Quills Dice, the narrator for both. We have Zoe Jackson, who is voicing a character after the break, whom I will not spoil. I want to keep uh, keep the keep that one a little close to my vest. But uh, Zoe, thank you so much. Uh, you you absolutely added so much more uh, to that character than I could have with just my dumb voice. So uh, like super, super great, super thankful, uh, made made a wonderful moment uh, even better. And finally, Nick Trent, thank you so much uh, for coming along with this ride, uh, recording all this stuff with us and just really bringing it uh, in this this last big Marcus episode, like huge thank you um good times with good people and speaking of good times and good people the pocket podcast network who hosts our show thank you as ever to them and all the other wonderful shows that are hosted there by all these wonderful people uh that i feel grateful and blessed to have in my life now uh, especially you know, shows like Pokemakers, because, you know, I did the theme music for that one. That's really cool. Uh, and also, you know, Alex and JD are just uh, wonderful. Um, I would absolutely say check out our newest show, the network's first narrative drama, Tia and Rio Attempt to Save the World. It is a horror-themed drama show. Uh, give that a listen. Absolutely. And so many others that are all great, and I love them. You all have my heart. And hey, you can hang out with us and yell about episodes in the Discord, post memes, all that fun stuff. When we play games, absolutely hang out, join us while we do that. Uh, the new Jackbox games have been pretty great. Uh, I've been kind of Twitch streaming myself, working on music for the show sometimes over at GMMCast Michael. I don't know how regularly that'll be a thing, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to keep it going. Um, that it was, It's been fun. And uh, I hope that you enjoy the episode. Bye. Hi, I'm John. I'm Gabe. I'm Chris. We're three friends who went to college together. Hey, Gabe, did you know that Akira Kurosawa has a writing credit on Star Wars? I didn't know that. Good, because I made it up. I have one. The creator of the Frisbee made his ashes into a commemorative run of Frisbees. I don't believe you. That's 100% real, my dude. 
Them's the Facts, a show about fun facts and lying to your friends. Every other Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network. Tristan, Ebenezer just sort of sighs and it's like, did you really just try to lure one of the queens of the Fae down here? Go, go take your seat. Marcus. Mm hmm. I would love to know where your head's at right now. <sighs> Chaos. He had like carefully built up how he was going to approach this and like what his arguments were going to be, as well as, you know, praying for the fact that there was a very real chance that, yeah, he's going to die. Prophecy, White Council, whatever. But the fact that Harry Dresden showed up, he tried to summon the queen, and Harry heavily implied that his dad set him up to fall like this has, like, scattered, like, the match that he has. Um, he's starting to get himself back together, but he was basically beside himself uh, for, for a little while. But he's, like, trying to, like, calm himself down. Could you please remind me what the trouble is on your sheet? Oh, I don't know if it got changed, but uh, I have very, very old character sheet of echoes of my old power still ringing in my ears. Hmm. Yeah. Um... That may have got changed after I got summoned by Titania, but I don't remember what I got changed to. We are going to say here and now that it absolutely did. Mm -hmm. uh, it did get changed. <clears throat> Simplified and broadened, actually, a slight bit. Echoes of my past mm -hmm. keep ringing in my ears. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'm going to compel you. Okay. I'm going to compel your trouble. Uh, is that? I'm going to pay you a fate point okay. to say that you do something. You can choose to not do that by paying me a fate point. Basically, this compulsion is you've resented your parents, especially your father. Oh, yes. For a very long time. And, um, well, Harry Dresden did just imply some real nasty things about your dad that would uh, change maybe even why you resent him. Because mm -hmm. he's pushed you so hard all of your life to, the po to a point that you felt like was an impossible standard he was trying to hold you to. And you've been told all the time that this was the same standard that he has always been held to himself. Mm -hmm. Now you have a good suspicion that that's not true. Mm -hmm. That you may have been, in fact, put into a position to do something where it was designed for you to fail and designed to push you into making that choice. Because if you didn't get what you needed, you would fail. Mm -hmm. What other wizard has ever been put through shit like that to become a wizard no one has ever had to prove themselves like that before the white council they have tests but not like this mm -hmm. i think you are going to suddenly have that realization and just snap okay so if you take the fate point mm -hmm. you are gonna get into it with your dad mm -hmm. right now okay i accept all right let the chaos begin. Uh, give me a minute. <laughs> I would love if this opens up with him going, you know what, Albie, it's right. Fuck you. <laughs> 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 or something along those lines.
so I guess while like that's like resolving itself, and he's like trying to gather himself, he will then like just na- head just snaps. To finally, look at his dad, which he has been avoiding doing this whole time, and just goes, um, "I'm gonna need you to do something for me, real quick." Okay, sure. What's up? Give your dad a first name. Oh, okay. Byron. Use it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <sighs> oh god. Byron Walbrook. What did you get out of it? I want to know. Marcus. No, no, no. Shut up. What did you get out of it? Because I know damn well that you, grandfather, all the way up the line, did not have to do what I had to do. I had to go on missions that even the wizard testing council did not approve of and did not know about. You, every day I had to study beyond anybody else to be, in order to become a wizard that you said I had to do. And do all of this. No other wizard had to go through that, but I had to. I doubt you ever did that. So Marcus, what did you get Waldrick. out of it? So much that you had to put me to break a law of magic and get me exiled when apparently all you wanted was for me to become a wizard. You will not speak to your father that way, Marcus Walbrook. I think you very clearly displayed at this point that you're not my father. No father would ever do this to their son. You are no son of mine. No, I suppose I'm not. Any father like that I would never want to have. And any child like you, I wish I never had. Okay, that is quite enough. Arthur Langtree, the Merlin, uh, bellows into the chamber. This will not descend into a base display like it has. None of this. Absolutely. You, Byron, sit down and speak no more. But I'm expected to allow my son to speak to me that way. Byron Walbrook, sit down. And there is this intense moment between them, and he does, because he's not going to piss off the Merlin any more than he already has. Yeah. There, it's not a good idea. (laughs) Don't do it. And then his, his focus snaps to you, Marcus, and he says, Marcus Walbrook, you are decidedly out of line. You will be found guilty immediately if you speak out of turn in such a fashion again at which point beaumont steps forward and goes hang on pardon me merlin i'm not going to stand idly by while you bypass the entire process because you're angry he just kind of gives him a look up and down and ebenezer just kind of gives a little chuckle and which gets a withering glare from the merlin (laughs) That's my son! (laughs) That is my son! (laughs) And Ebenezer just says, Boy, you'd you'd do well to uh, try to make no further points at this time, but your objection has been noted. Would that be correct, Arthur? Thank you, Ebenezer. And he brusquely uh, just sort of returns to form and says, Coincidentally, I believe that it is your turn to speak. Beaumont just kind of looks very uncomfortable. But me? Yes, you. Oh, um, I... 
members of the senior council. Uh, I, I have known uh, Marcus here for uh, some time, off, off and on, largely due to uh, the, the off being due to the fact that he um, disappeared for some time. Uh, we now we now know that that disappearance was a repayment of a favor that he owed to the Queen of the Summer Court, who I do genuinely believe manipulated his actions without him knowing. I I truly believe that I I believe that what Warden Dresden has insinuated is true enough that I'm willing to to take on the Doom of Damocles and take Marcus Walbrook as my apprentice and place us both under the Doom. Should any recidivism be displayed, we shall both accept the punishment. There's a just a pause. Is a big old pregnant pause. Mm-hmm. Alvian very, very subtly gives him a thumbs up. I mean, this is the same council. This is the same council where you, uh, council, uh, c- senior council member, um, McCoy, you stepped up and defended Harry Dresden. And now Dresden is. A warden. People can change. Especially when people are put in impossible situations. Like Dresden was. Absolutely. The situation he was put in was unfair. And yes, he broke a law. But we gave him that chance. This this man here just shared that he had experiences well outside of anything that any of us would have approved of or sanctioned. I, I truly believe with, with every fiber of my being that he was put into a situation that was categorically unfair. And I know that the universe doesn't care about fairness, but we're people and we do even as we try to reconcile it against the laws of the universe itself. There is something in you, isn't there, that feels a little guilty every time you declare somebody guilty. You don't want. You don't want to have to. I, I don't think any of us want to have to kill one of our friends. Anyway. I, uh, I'm not going to, s- to stand here and say that I think that Marcus is, is, is innocent, but I am going to stand here and say, I don't think he's guilty either. Whew. And he just takes a step back and, uh, and takes a seat. Well, then the Merlin finally says after a long pause. Your statements on the matter have been noted, as is your desire 
to take on the responsibility of Marcus Walbrook as your apprentice. Marcus? He nods. I may regret this, but in the interest of decorum, please, you have the floor. Being a wizard is something I always wanted to do. At least I thought so. I was raised up about the family legacy, the Walbrook legacy, that we were some of the most distinguished wizards, and we had a responsibility to fulfill. And that is all I've ever heard throughout my childhood and growing up. And he's going to go into explaining like all of the things, the training he did, and what missions he was sent on by his dad. I tried. I tried so fucking hard to meet them. I spent countless nights studying, didn't get any sleep. I lost the friendships where they became rivals instead of people I cared about. I barely even saw my sister for, for weeks at a time. But I just thought, one more mission, one more task. And finally, I'd get that smile. Dad would say, good job, or even, you're getting there. But it was never enough. So when the time came, and I was on that mission, which he had sent me on, not anyone here of the council or even in my, my, my trials, I had become desperate. And I thought that if I just had a little more skill, a little more power, that I'd finally be able to break through that barrier. I had become so focused on pleasing my father, I had forgotten what it was to be a wizard. Of the White Council, especially. You are there to protect. You are there to help. To safeguard. I had become so focused on the Walbrooks over the world. And I, as I have told Warden Beaumont, I will say here now, yes. I did break into that man's mind to get the information I wanted. And I have never regretted anything more. All I have sought since then, which I don't even know it's even possible, but I still look, is a way to try and give him his life back. I don't know if he's a good man or a bad man, it doesn't matter. He did not deserve to have that taken away from him. Not by me, not by anyone. And I have realized now, especially with what has been revealed, that I have only ever been dancing to someone else's tune, someone else's expectations. My father's the White Council to a degree, but that was by choice. The Fae, and a prophecy now, apparently, that I am to die. And I'm very, very tired of constantly doing what other people want me to do, or expect me to do. And I just want to do what I want to do, which is to set things right as much as I can. I don't care what that man who claims to be my father says. I just want to set the record straight. I want to do the best I can to make up for it. And if you will allow me, I will put every fiber of my being into it. I want nothing more to do with the Fae. Like Warden Dresden said, I despise Fae politics. I just want the chance to put this right and to continue to do what a Wizard of the White Council should do. Whatever you decide is what you decide. That is all I have to say. The Merlin nods and says, very well, you 
may return to your seat. He sits. And your father stands up and says, Merlin, I have a right. I have a right to provide insight and evidence as is necessary for to make your decision accurately and correctly. Albion is giving him the most withering glare possible and is actually going to attempt to make eye contact with him. Mm. He is not going to look at you. Uh, he is going to be looking at the stage in the center of the amphitheater, kind of. Um, so he's not going to get drawn into your your gaze. Uh, let me make a quick roll, just to be absolutely sure. Okay, could you uh, hit me with... I, I don't know. Uh, I think this might be... I think this is a deceit, since you're trying to kind Catch of make eye contact with somebody. Well, deceit's uh, a bad score for me. Um, I was trying to yeah. just intimidate him. Yeah, yeah, about that. This is somebody that uh, would a soul gaze would happen if you locked eyes with him. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Uh, that's only a plus one, so no, this isn't going anywhere. No, he absolutely beat that uh, by... A lot, I'm sure. Uh, by four. Yeah, there was no way I could beat that, and then I rolled like shit anyway. So, Rashid and... Ebenezer both kind of look at the Merlin and Christos says begrudgingly we he is right if he has any relevant information to share then we should hear it the Merlin gives Byron Walbrook a hard stare and says you are on thin ice but you may proceed I may not acknowledge Marcus as my son, but I know him. I have known him all of his life. I am the man in this room who knows him the most of anyone. And he may protest all he likes. That he is sorry? What he is, is he is sorry that he got caught. The law he broke, he broke of his own volition what he did and you hear a voice in the chamber a female voice just say silencio and you note byron walbrook is moving his lips for a moment before realizing that he's not saying anything nothing's coming out marcus this is a voice you haven't heard in a while mm-hmm but you recognize your sister's voice immediately. Had immediately snaps over to, in the direction of the voice. Everybody, everybody turns and looks at the person who just cast a magic spell inside of here and yeah. literally silenced this man. And there's a there's a lot of like, you know, sort of gasps of recognition and murmurs as she as she goes. Apologies, esteemed counsel, but I was not just going to sit here and let that bastard assassinate the character of my brother. And since you weren't going to put a stop to it, I did. What is happening? At which point the Merlin uh, just says, both of you are removed from this chamber immediately. He nods to some wardens and says, Escort them out. And you can see Byron is just in an absolute fit of rage. 
and you can see your sister is as she's walking out struggling to maintain concentration on her spell that is currently silencing him <laughs> do you make eye contact or anything approximating it to your sister he would she in that kind of language that children have mm -hmm. is going to give you a hand signal mm -hmm. that you would know basically means i've got your back He's doing his absolute best to not cry because he had thought for years that she hated him because all of the weight fell onto her when he failed. Yeah. You have the realization that she might be emotionally mature enough to recognize that, especially after uh, these strangers have stood up and said what they've said, which is in stark contrast to how her own father talked about you. And Harry Dresden, a wizard of the you know, warden, uh, made some really compelling accusations. And she may know more about what he's been up to than anyone at this point. So as she is being escorted out, she she makes that gesture at mm -hmm. you. And as the stone doors close behind, you suddenly hear the muffled sounds of your father just screaming just raging yeah just screaming in outrage and yeah there's noise coming through from the other side of the of, of the door yeah and, and that noise is getting a little further and further away you you think that maybe they're they're being escorted even further away so as not to cause a further disruption yep the merlin just shakes his head and says if all of this nonsense has now abated, and he does shoot a pointed look over at Harry Dresden <laughs> uh, for just a split second. You started all of this. Uh, who, who, who has a look on his face of like, what me? Ain't I a stinker? <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, he says, if that is quite enough, then I believe we should have our vote on the fate of Marcus Walbrook, who has admitted that he is guilty of this crime for which he stood accused and stands accused again, and the willingness of Warden Joseph Beaumont to take him on as an apprentice, knowing full well the risks and responsibilities that that entails. And the Merlin looks to his fellow counselors, who each in turn nod. And he says, Council, how do you vote in favor of allowing Marcus Walbrook to be the apprentice of Joseph Beaumont? Ebenezer McCoy says, I. Rashid says, I. Gregory Christos says, nay. And the Merlin says, on behalf of ancient Mai, Martha Liberty, and myself, and Joseph listens to wind, I vote yay. You are now both subject to the doom of Damocles. If at any time, Marcus Walbrook proceeds to break the law again, or show behavior indicative of recidivism, 
both he and Warden Joseph Beaumont will be subject to immediate execution. There will be no second trial. Or, I suppose in this case, third. Do you both understand? Y yes. Joseph just sort of nods and says, Yes, yes, Merlin, I, I understand the responsibility that I am taking. I, 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 I yes. <sighs> Very well. Until such time as we determine that the doom shall be lifted, you are subject to it. This council session is now adjourned. The hall is rather loud now. Everybody's talking. Albion is going to turn and just look at Marcus. He's collapsed on the floor crying. Understandable. Yeah, it, it's this massive weight of many years has finally been lifted for the most part. And with all the revelations, he, he just, he can't. He can't anymore. Mm -hmm. Des just like takes a, a deep breath and she hasn't even realized that she's been holding her breath as long as she has been. But she takes a breath finally. Just, oh my gosh. Albion is walking, making his way over to Harry Dresden. Oh boy. Oh boy. Of course he is. I mean, what's the one thing he's wanted to do for quite a few episodes now? Shoot Harry? No, talk to the... Talk, <laughs> Kiss him talk, on the mouth. Talk to the Winter Knight. Yes, kiss. <laughs> yes, talk to but the yes. Winter Knight. Yes, has been his explicitly stated goal. Yeah. So, yeah, you make your way over to uh, Harry Dresden, who, I will reiterate, is towering over you. He's a tall man. Yep, he's incredibly tall. Yes. Albion's like, so I don't know if you heard that I was looking for you. Oh, so you're the guy. I'm the guy. I mean, I could tell by the accent that you were the guy. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm the guy. Word gets around. Albion Graves, Hunter of the Noctis, Emissary of Odin, blah blah blah. I was gonna come and, uh... Let you know what was going on with the Squire situation. See if you couldn't, uh, call him off. But, uh, a bit late for that now on account of them both being dead. Well, those two are. Uh, I should have expected there were more that I didn't know of. Yeah, um. Well, if you know anything about my boss, then yeah, you should have. I, I know enough to be dangerous. Listen, kid. I know enough to be dangerous. And trust me when I tell you, you don't want to. So I owe you one for sticking your neck out for Marcus back there. Thank you for that. <laughs> Please, you don't owe me. At all. If anything, I probably made things worse. You did what I would have done, and, uh, I don't know if that's what that says about either of us, honestly. Hmm. <laughs> Nothing good. But, um, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would... I, I don't even know if you can, but if there's any way you could keep more squires of the Winter Court from showing up in Burlington and fucking up everyone's day, that would be absolutely wonderful, and I would genuinely owe you a favor. Oh, friend, I would choose my words far more carefully. <laughs> I know the words I said, and I meant them. 
My choice of words was very intentional. Kid. He puts a hand on your shoulder again. Let me impart some wisdom here. You don't want to owe me a favor. He is still the winner tonight. <laughs> now, I meant what I said in court. Had I known about it from the beginning, I would have put a stop to that shit. And put a stop to that shit, I shall. Luckily for you, I also have a vested interest in ensuring that my squires, as they are my squires, don't go poking their noses where they're not wanted in the mortal realm. Capiche? Comprendo. <laughs> Comprendo indeed. <sighs> well, regardless of whether or not I owe you, I appreciate it. Uh... <laughs> well, hey. If any of your hunts ever take you to Chicago, stop by McCannelly's. I think I'll do that. I don't know, I might be stuck in Burlington for a while. Feels like, uh, feels like I might be putting down roots there, you know? <laughs> Believe me, kid. I know a thing or two about that. And it's not always a bad thing. But boy, it sure can be. Now, uh... In any case... I have some new squires to attend to. On a final note, if I were to walk out into that hallway and beat the absolute shit out of Mr. Wahlberg right now, I'd probably get my ass kicked by every wizard here, right? <laughs> uh, if you were to go out into the hidden halls of Edinburgh and pick a fist fight with a wizard of one of the most prestigious lineages here. Calling that a death wish would be putting it very generously. Alright, I just needed a second opinion, because I know sometimes my judgment can be suspect. Anyway, thank you. I'm gonna get out of here now. If I can impart one more nugget of wisdom before you leave, it'd be this. Leave Mr. Walbrook to his own devices. It's been my experience that well, folk like him, they tend to be the masters of their own torturous design. The likes of which far outdo anything we would do to them. Alvin gives a quiet nod, and then extends a hand for a shake. He gives you a handshake. Alright. Ooh, that's brisk. Yeah, it tends to be. <laughs> well, maybe you and I have more in common than I thought. Certainly more than you know. But I really shouldn't say any more on that subject. Albion <laughs> winks his right eye. And Harry's gonna roll his eyes and just go, You have a nice life now, Albion Graves. And if your path ever does lead you to my turf, ah, you know where to find me. Yep. Albion gives him a little salute and then heads back to the rest of the group. All right. Albion. Mm-hmm. Des. Yes. Ro. Mm hmm. I'm going to need all of you to make me a discipline roll, real quick. Oh, boy. Um, oh, you lucked out. Five. Three. Okay, so your five. target. Your target is a three. Okay. <laughs> Good. Because I rolled like garbage. 
I don't know if you've gotten used to hearing words inside of your head yet. No. Given that the Merlin was translating things and occasionally yelling in your, your own head about stuff. But a voice hits your brain and attempts to worm its way inside. All of you, fortunately, can feel this attempted invasion of your mind and are able to repel it with varying degrees of ease. Ro, I don't know if you were expecting it the least or if you just have the least amount of exposure to these sorts of problems, mm -hmm. but you are able to, to shake it off uh, and not allow it to get itself properly in. And you hear a voice in your head. Every letter of every syllable sounds as though it is composed of grease drippings. Or perhaps the slime left behind by a slug. Ew. I hate this. Mm-hmm. And the words form in your mind and they say you have not heard the last of me. Fortunately, you are able to kick it out of your head after that. Was it a voice we'd, I'd heard before? You don't think so, but I am going to have you attempt to make a lore roll real quick to try to uh, see if you can use your supernatural senses to try to parse anything out of it. Can I do that too? You absolutely can. I have a lot of background in voices in my head. <laughs> so I get to roll with advantage, if this were right? If a different game, you could roll with advantage <laughs> on that. Oh, dang. If only we were a different system. But I uh, unfortunately, I, I must inform you that your target that you're rolling against is an eight this time. Oh, God. Oh, yay. Just rolled it, and my dice swung the other way. Well, I have a very... I have one last fate point. Oh, wow. So, what was that? Lore, you said? Correct. I just rolled eight. <laughs> That's good, because I... Even with my fate point, I wouldn't have been able to hit that. I've got a five, and I've, I rolled three pluses, which I've never done. <laughs> okay. It was fated. Hey, that's the name of the Fuck system. Off. All of a sudden, Dez's, Dez's uh, inner voice uh, system just ding. My senses <laughs> are going off. Somebody's talking to me. <laughs> so, Dez, this voice in your head, it was doing yeoman's work to try to basically hide its own identity. It felt gross. It felt cold. Basically, like, you know how people in, in fiction, like, describe the sensation of, like, a ghost reaching inside of them? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not maybe you, because... Well, you but she does. <laughs> well, yeah, right. It, it's It does not actually feel necessarily like Des might have experienced. Uh, it was a bad example. I, <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually considering, since I've met... I'm considering invoking a fate point to get more information than one would get just from meeting it. Is that something you are willing to accept? You're gonna get the answer that you need. You you met the role. Okay. 
I'll give you the information you're going to get, and you can tell mm -hmm. me if you want to spend a fate point to get more. Okay. As as much effort as had gone into this voice attempting to uh, disguise itself, you have to understand that this would have to be somebody who is very skilled at the very difficult and subtle magic required to do such a thing. And uh, you're able to kind of pick apart enough of the details in your mind as you've sort of captured this sound and are uh, sort of reviewing it and like trying to trace it back to its source. And you feel fairly confident that that was Byron Walbrook trying to get into your head. Oh, hell no. Albion Roe, come with me. Roe's following. Yeah, I'm following. Yes, ma'am. Hey, do y'all realize that uh, Iron Man would fucking suck against a wizard? Uh, yes, I do. I would argue you are that Iron Man sucks against everything because I don't like him. But let's record <laughs> before I get okay lambasted by Marvel stands. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let that that clip get out, Gwen. <laughs> I can. We have to keep this under wraps. <laughs> I Michelle. love how all Wink. the other stuff we've said on the show. That's the one thing was you have to cut this. I... You cannot <laughs> let this get out to the public. I, I can't wait to see her YouTube apology video. <laughs> hey guys, I'm sorry I said I'm that Iron Man sucks. That you all like Iron Man so much. Gwen just he in tears, sucks. just like I fucked up. I I'm gonna try to I do better. Brought up Iron Man. Who you all are <laughs> weak for liking. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.